Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. You know, who knows what might happen. So let's just pray. Holy Spirit, come. And once again, we invite you. We really do. We can't do this without you. We don't even want to. And so, Lord, as we talk about this subject, would you open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and just allow us to get a fresh revelation. And Lord, I need your help, as you know. So please do that as well. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Do you know, when I look at the three years of ministry of Jesus, now I know it's broader than that, but essentially these three public years of ministry, as his death gets closer, it's quite interesting, the more intense and confrontational the stories and the parables and what he does get. So have you noticed that? You read it. Those, that last almost six months, Jesus doesn't waste any time. He's incredibly direct. You know, the parables he tells are almost pointed. And I think that's pretty normal, to be honest. And the parable I'm going to tell you about tonight, people say, if they've studied it, it might have been only a few days before the crucifixion. And so the whole emphasis that I'm talking about tonight is this story that I'm going to tell is really, really significant because it's towards the end of his life. And I just, I just think that at the end of the life, he's just like us. He's saying, I better, I, I've got to get some urgency about this. I'm not going to be around too much longer physically, so to speak. So I've got to make my point as quickly as I can. And I think this story is underrated that I'm going to tell you about. It's underrated because it's so potent. But in an English way, and I'm going to come to this in a minute, we actually don't get the full story. So I'm going to try to give you the story and let you understand what Jesus was really doing when he absolutely shocked the people in telling this story. Now, before I tell you what story it is, let me tell you the story is about one word, responsibility. It's as simple as that. It's about responsibility. And Jesus tells a story, and essentially the whole story is based on this one premise. Here it is. What you are given by God, you're responsible for. Can I just let that sink in? What you are given by God, you are responsible for. And it's an amazing and significant statement. It's so profound because what he's saying is, it's what you are given. What an amazing, you could preach on that just alone. In other words, what you are given, not anyone else, it's what you are given. God looks at you and gives you certain things. It's you. You're responsible for your gifts. You don't have to look at the person beside you and say, I'm responsible for your gifts. No, you're responsible for your gifts. And the next concept that flows from that is it's given to you by God. What an amazing thing. It's free. I don't know about whether you're excited, but I think that's incredibly exciting. That it's it's free. I didn't have to earn it. God looked at me and said, these are the gifts I'm giving you. And then that third concept of the story I'm going to tell you, and you're probably starting to guess what the story is. The story is, well, you're then responsible to God for those gifts. So you know the story as well as I do. What is it? Well, it's the parable of the servants and their responsibility. Some other people call it the parable of the talents, the story of the responsibility, the tale of accountability. And it's the parable of three saves, slaves and how they act with a gift that was given to them. Now, you've read it. You know it. It's found in Matthew 25. So what I thought I'd do tonight is I'm going to translate this story from when Jesus told it to 2023. Is that OK if I do that? It's not heresy, I hope. All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get three volunteers to help me. So where's my three trusty volunteers that have been schooled up? Here they need to come. Why don't you just encourage them? All right, here they are. They're going to come up and sit with me. They have no idea what I'm going to do. So the fear, the look of panic that I saw that you didn't see is quite astounding, really. You ready for this? You've got no idea how I'm going to embarrass you. And no, I won't. Yeah, I know. So let me tell you the story. All right, I want to bring it into a modern translation. A business person is about to go away on a long trip. And Jesus says, here's what that business person does. He calls his three servants to him. Now, let me tell you who those servants are. They're slaves. We have no concept of slavery in this country. I'm sorry to say that, but I say it very deliberately. But they're slaves. And that's going to play a real role in the story that I'm going to tell you. 
And he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, going to bring you in and I'm going to give you three amounts of gifts, three talents full of silver. So I've got some gifts for you. Don't you think that's great? So we're going to bring up the three gifts and we're going to give you some gifts. How's that? So here is, here is the business person, Leo the business person. And he brings these gifts. All right, he brings these gifts. Now you can see there is a disparity of size. Small, medium, large. And he brings them in. Now you know the parable as well as I do. There's a fiver and there's a twoer and there's a oneer, for want of a better word. And in Matthew 25 verse 15, it says that the distribution of these gifts small, medium, large, was done, listen, according to their abilities. So the businessman looked at them over a long period of time and said, look, I've assessed who you are. I've assessed what you are. I've assessed really everything about you. And on that basis, I want to give you that gift. It's for you. And I want to give you that gift. I want to give you that gift. And this is an amazing thing because right now, these three people are saying, that's great. But in, in essence, each one of them would have been saying, how come we didn't get it equally? I'm serious about that. Why didn't you give me it equally? And remember the whole concept of this, what you are given, you're going to be responsible for. Now, all of us know this parable backwards. We, we do. You know, and, and what we normally think is that the business owner is giving you and I everything. This is how it's interpreted usually. We are given everything. We're given the responsibility to use it. Everything we've got is God's. It's not just our physical possessions. It's our natural abilities, our gifting. And we're to use those gifts and we're to develop those gifts and we're to increase those gifts for God. Can I just say, if that's your view of this story, it's too narrow. If that's what Jesus was saying three or four days before his death, I want a refund no, I'm serious, because there's far more to it than that. See, when the original language is taken into account, and you've got to understand, we've got the English version in it that we're reading, but when he would have said it in his original language, it was the most shocking story ever told. Every Jewish person in the crowd that was listening to him, if there was a crowd, and we don't even know what environment he was talking to, they would have sat back and said, that is absolutely shocking. I don't even believe that story. It wouldn't happen. Now, when you, I read the story, I just get this passive view of, oh, I've just got to use my giftings. It's all nice. But everyone in that crowd would have been saying, you, that's disgusting. It's such a terrible story. And the reason why is two absolutely shocking things that Jesus did. Here's the first one. And we don't quite understand it today because we're not in that context. So I'm going to try to put it in the context. The first thing is, this is the first shock. And once we hear it, I, I, think, I think you'll understand. The first shock is this. This individual, this business person, incredibly wealthy, obviously influential, really powerful. Clearly, Jesus is referring to him as God in the story. He gives to each of his slaves a vast amount of resource. Stop. That would never have happened. Like, I don't panic. It would never have happened. The thought of a business owner in that position saying to three slaves... Have it. It's free. And he doesn't even tell them what to do with it. He just says it's yours. In that culture, in that society, in that Roman-dominated society where Jewish people were living under the authority of the Romans, it would never happen. The crowd are saying, I don't even believe this story. Where's he going with this? Do you understand how provocative the story is? And in this thing, you've got to also understand, remember, the gift was not even asked for. That's the other thing. These three, they weren't even expecting it. The gift was not asked for. It wasn't paid for. It was voluntary. And there was no strings attached. And everyone in that crowd would have had this thought at that point once they got over the shock. Is that how God operates? I'm serious. Their view of God was just... 
absolutely, in this moment, totally provoked by Jesus. Uh, Hang on a minute. Does God want to pour out his blessings upon us? Hang on a minute. Let me just think this through. Is the heart of God to bless us unconditionally? Is God that generous? Is God that good? Can you understand how this crowd is feeling now? They're saying, this is blowing my mind. God is there to bless me and to give me these gifts that I didn't ask for? It's an amazing concept. I know you're all standing there stunned, but I'm actually being factual. And isn't it interesting that the majority actually do know this, but somehow we ourselves don't accept it? I hate to say that. Do you know with our background and our past hurts and our relationships, past events which have caused us pain, especially when some of those events are really hard to rationalise, and sometimes even the way we were raised produces a rigidity of thought. And although we know it, we have this resistance to the fact that God actually wants to give us good things. We do. There are moments in my life, and and I think I've been brought up in a culture where I do believe God blessed me. I'm thinking, well, God, there's no strings attached to this, eh? So if you do give me this gift, I'm not going to have to go to China to be a missionary, am I? I mean, how many of us have actually prayed that and believed it? And I know I'm exaggerating a bit in that, but do you understand we tend to put conditions upon the gifts of God in our lives? But these guys are thinking the same thing. What, what, what's going on? There must be some conditions attached. And the parable confronts us with the fact that God is generous beyond measure. So when Jesus spoke about giving these talents and these silver to the students, to the servants and the slaves, the original language is just, it it gets even more provocative. The giving of the gift, and here's the part I'm going to centre on tonight, it wasn't just the giving on the gift, it was the unseen thing that the business owner did. The individual, this this is the shocking second part, Everyone in that crowd listening to the language would have thought, hang on a minute, he's not just giving a gift. Are you with me? Because this is really important. The individuals is giving these three people a share of who he was in essence. I'm going to explain that. That's what we don't see in the the story. But if if you look at the original language, the business owner gives them the gift but he's giving them who he is as well. Now, who's the business owner? God. God is giving these three slaves not just the gift. He's giving himself to them. God is giving who he is. In other words, he's saying, not only am I giving you the gift, I'm giving you my mercy. I'm giving you my compassion, my love, my kindness, my generosity. The gift of silver comes with this overflowing essence of God that when you take the gift and you then use it, it's to be used with what? Mercy. Love. Compassion. Generosity. And kindness. And everyone in the crowd is going, wow, This is just not about the physical gift. In other words, every person in the crowd knew Jesus didn't have to explain it, that the gift had to be shared. In that culture, they didn't get a gift like that without it being shared. That's why there is no explanation of what they needed to do with it. Read the story. They do use it. Well, two two out of three use it. But they automatically, they did not have to be told to invest it. Every one of them knew it had to be shared because the gifts of God were never for themselves. They'd learned that since they were kids, young Jewish kids. So here's automatically, I've got these gifts. I shouldn't be getting them because I'm a slave. But not only am I getting the gift, you're giving me all you are so I can share it to make sure that I represent you when I share it. You're seeing a bit of salt and light coming on the horizon here. And by sharing it, everyone knew 
the gift would therefore be multiplied. Isn't that interesting? Because in, in the version that I'm reading, as I said, Jesus doesn't even give instructions about how it's to be used because they knew, everyone in that, everyone in that room knew what they needed to do with it. So what we have and what we do with it, listen to this, has to be a reflection on the one who gave it to us. It's not just the physical things. It's the unseen gift we're given. So when we're given talents, how do we use those talents? With mercy, with love, with compassion, with generosity. Have I been given the gift of communication? How do I use that? With mercy. Come on. With compassion, with generosity, with love. And when I do that, everything I do, everything I say, everything I think, every interaction I have with anyone concerning the gifts that I've been given must reflect the person who has given me the gift. So if I go to Coles and I'm rude to the deli girl with the gift that I've been given, right, am I representing the person who's given me the gift? So as Jeff said, we're on a scale of salt and light. You know, some Christians, are, I really, to be honest, I've been with Christians who are just rude. Okay, rude. Well, are they operating with the gifts they've got with mercy, with love, with generosity? Our stewardship of all we must show is to show everyone that we've got the gifts from God. Now, when we're merciful with all we have, listen, I'm nearly done. When we're merciful with all we have, people will see God at our actions. You with me? When we're, living, when we're loving with all we have, people will see God in us and our actions. When we're generous with all we have, people will see God in us and our actions. When we're compassionate in, in all that we have, with all that we have, people must see God. When we are kind with all we have, People will see God in all the actions. Our gifts and, 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 and possessions and talents, listen, they're just an extension of our faith in action because everything we do, everything we say, everything we have must show people we serve the person who gave the gift to us. What you are given by God, you're responsible. So do you understand? You're not just responsible for the gift, listen, you're responsible for the manner in which you share it. That puts a responsibility on me to behave all day. Now, I'm using that phrase very loosely, but you understand what I'm going for. Now, once you've got that, the rest of the parable starts to make sense because the shocks continue and the story continue. So let's go now to the end of the story. So I've explained that part, but now you know what happens. The business person comes back. But we're going to go to the end story. We're going to go to our, our one man over here. All right, the one man. He got the, the one gift, so to speak, the smallest gift. But remember, it's based on his talents and his abilities. It's equal in a sense to the others. It's just based on his abilities. He's going to be judged on that gift as opposed to the others. Now, Jesus comes, comes back and this person automatically gives an excuse. We think it's his excuse, but in Jewish society, it was quite acceptable. So he says, Master, I know that you've got high standards. You hate careless ways. You demand the best and you make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you. See, do you understand? See that, that, that thought come through? All right, it's the thought that I made right at the beginning. You didn't really give me this free. I, had to, I don't want to disappoint you about all this. Where did he get that from? There's no hint that the, the master said anything about that. So I found a good hiding space and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound to the last cent. Now remember, I want to just say this. In those days, there was absolutely nothing wrong with burying resources in a safe place. That was actually considered prudent and wise. This guy in Jewish society had done the right thing. He didn't waste it. He'd given back the same amount. In fact, in those days... They didn't have the Commonwealth Bank or Westpac or NAB or anyone else. And I'm not being flippant. They just did. So to bury the gift was fine. And many people did. But here's what Jesus says. We, we are told the reason why Jesus is so upset. 
is Jesus replies, and this is in verse 26 and 27, he said, the master was furious. So again, the whole crowd's going, hang on a minute, I've got a, I've got a few things buried as well at home. But they did. The master's furious. This is a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done was to invest it with the son with a banker, which at least I would have got a little interest. See, what he's saying is this. Jesus is saying this parable is not about the wise responsibility to use the gifts. It's the way I wanted you to give the gifts. It's not just about increasing the gift. Can you understand that you lost the opportunity to represent me? Think of the power of that moment. It's not about just putting it... God bless you. You've got, you know, 100 people in the crowd have probably done the same thing. But you live so cautiously, you denied the opportunity for you to represent me in the community and in society and in your workplace and to your family and to your unsafe friends and on the sporting field. You just, said, you just hid the thing. You just hid it. I, I, I can't understand you doing that. I can in a natural sense and everyone else probably does it, but... No one knows of my love or my mercy or my compassion or my generosity or, or my kindness because you just buried it. We're to give away what God is, who he is. And anyone who's cautious with sharing what God has given us is denying the opportunity for God to shine his light through us. It's a shocking parable, isn't it? It really is. It's so provocative, it causes us to reevaluate how we look at the gifting and possessions we have and our talents. But the story's not over. Remember, we're going to go back a bit now because there were two other servants. So he addresses the two servants. And here's what the Bible says about that. Jesus' parable. He said, this is verse 19 and 20. He says, after a long time, their master returned from the trip, called them to give an account of how he used his money. The servant in whom he had trusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five and five bags of silver to invest and I've earned five more. Now, the same thing, I don't have to read it, but the same thing happened to the two. I don't have to read that. We've got time issues, haven't we? God's reply is the same for them both. Listen, because this is the reply you want to hear. Verse 21, the master was full of praise. Well done. You good and faithful servant, you have been faithful in handling this small amount. Now listen, here's the parable. Here's the word I'm going to talk about. So now I'm going to give you many more responsibilities. Come on, let's celebrate together. Remember what this parable is about? What you are given by God you are responsible for. So the final piece of this story is now just coming together. Not only are you responsible for what you are given by God, but it will determine, listen, what else you are given by God. Because you've represented God well. And therefore what God says, I'm going to increase your sphere of influence. I'm going to increase your sphere of responsibility. Because the gifts aren't the big thing in the story. That's why they're unequal. It doesn't matter how much you've got. It doesn't matter. It's how you give them, giving them with me attached to them. And when I know I can trust you to give me away, I'm going to give you more. That's the story for me. That's the story for me. The story for me is not about the physical possessions. Cool. Great. It's about when I represent God by sharing my giftings, God says, you know what? I'm going to allow you to represent me more. Isn't that crazy? And Jesus makes this so clearly because in verse 29, he just goes a bit further. He says, to those who use well what they are given, this is for you tonight, even more will be given and they will have an abundance but from those who do nothing, now why would he now do what he's going to do? Even the little they have will be taken away. Here's why. Because they're not representing him. Remember going to all the world? They're not doing that. They're not doing that. So he says, why should you have it? I'm going to give it to the two 
that have decided they're going to represent me out there to be salt and light. And often this parable is interpreted as the more you give, the more you'll get back from God. If that's it, I'm, that, that's not my view of Christianity. In total, we have a responsibility to not just steward what God has given us, but steward it in a way that mercy, love, generosity, compassion and kindness is on display for all to see. I don't know about you, but that really excites me. I don't get excited about physical possessions too much. But boy, I get excited about representing God in the community with my talents, gifts and abilities. So in doing so, we're giving away his mercy and his love and his generosity and his kindness to a world that desperately needs that. How we act in all situations, how we utilise our giftings, how we use our abilities, what we do with our possessions and our resources and our wealth, how we speak in private and in public. Now we can just see it's not just about the increase of physical things. It's not just about that. It's so much more. It's the stewardship and the responsibility, if managed well, will lead to this increase. And listen to this, in opportunities, in influence, in promotion, in breakthrough, in reputation, in significance, in deepness of relationships, the blessing of God in every area of your life. I just want to ask you one question as I finish. Does the way we deal with everything we've been given by God, does it display who God is? This has to change the way we approach our day-to-day lives and how we look at salt and light. So every day, our eyes should be like this, open to not just stewarding our gifts and our talents and our abilities and our wealth It's how we are responsible for the attributes of God when we have an exchange with someone. And how we share with them God on display is going to demonstrate God far more effectively than you walking down the street with a billboard saying repent or else. I've sat in rooms in Parliament and honestly, I... I, Jeff builds me up. I, I'm just a turkey from western, the western suburbs of Brisbane. Ipswich, dear, oh dear. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Mate, add Ipswich to that. No, I'm serious. So, you know, oh. and I just got this revelation that it's not by the gifts I've been given, although my training as a lawyer certainly has helped. It's how I've used my training as a lawyer. So when I'm in those rooms, I'm thinking politician's son. What a gift that was that I cursed every day I went to school. Cursed. But now I sit in the room and say, I know how you're thinking. I know what you're going through. I know what your kids are going through. I know what your marriage is probably going through. I know what your loneliness is like. I've seen it in my dad. And I'm able to not exercise my gift of communication, my gift of the ability to to write submissions or to appear before a Senate because I've appeared in court for so many years as a lawyer. That's That's not even close to what I want to do. It's the exercise of compassion and love and mercy and kindness. So I display my Christianity in the room which is more important than the gifts. May your eyes be opened to this parable. Amen. Thank you. you what, didn't they do brilliantly? Thank you. Well, that was profound, I've got to say. In all my years of studying the Bible and listening to preaching, I've never heard that ever, ever explained like that. Thank you so much for that, Mark. We really do appreciate that and the wisdom of what it's going to lead us on to in our next part of our discussion. And uh, uh, that's uh, a great joy. One of the things we uh, always want to do, I, I often in moments like this wonder if there isn't somebody uh, who uh, is listening or is a part of it who goes, that sounds so wonderful. And it's obvious that you know Jesus, but I really don't know how to know him myself. You know, we tend to think that everyone just knows. Uh, I keep finding people all the time who go, well, I don't know. 
You know, I don't know, you know, when Jesus said in John 14, you know, I go to prepare a place for you and the way I go, where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas speaks up after all these years of being with Jesus and says, but we don't know. We don't know the way. And that always just reminds me that maybe someone's listening to this going, but I don't know. And they may have grown up with church. And so they think it's about how good you are or about doing the right things at the right moment. And uh, or maybe they've never been to church and just have no idea at all. The number of people that have come to Christ literally walking past this building uh, and having heard the singing, heard the praise and worship that you do, and then come walking in and give their life to Christ. There's numbers of them. Rhonda and I were talking about it only the other day. And so can I just take a minute to say that if you are either in the building tonight or you're online with us and you go, Jeff, I don't know the way. I don't know how to do that. Let me just say to you what I know I did and that someone showed me was that verse in Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him. And they said, all you've got to do is ask Jesus into your life. And so I did that in the little church that I was uh, in that night and simply said, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I'm turning to you and I'm surrendering to you. And that began the journey uh, with Christ. Now, that's many, many years ago. We did not have then all the ways that we can connect and partner with you. Uh, but we have those now. And that's where we developed this thing called Yes Text. And so if you want to say yes to Jesus, please understand this. It's not an e just because it's an easy thing to do doesn't mean it's an insignificant thing to do. It's a profound thing to do. If you send us your yes, just Y-E-S, the number's up there on the screen, 0488-826-392. Or if you want to help via email, you go to yes.metrochurch.org.au. Either way, the very next day, our team that are praying for you and our team that will be contacting you, sending you a Bible verse and a prayer. The reason we do that is because we discovered so many people don't know how to pray. So we thought, well, we're going to help them. So we send that out as a prayer. Different every day, different scripture every day. You get that for 30 days and then you can opt into more if you want. We never write and ask you for anything. We'll never pester you. Uh, we don't do any of that. We simply want to help you. So can we pray together? Father, I thank you for people that maybe are either in front of me here or maybe they're online joining with us. Or Lord, there might be one of the thousand or more people that over the next couple of weeks will watch this. They'll be a part of this service in a time frame that suits them. Lord, they'll get to this moment and recognise that though they might know about you, they don't really know you. So Jesus, I pray that the Holy Spirit in that moment, in that place, is going to talk to them right now and say, this is your moment to say yes, prompting them to open their heart to receive you as their Lord and as their Saviour. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. I pray, God, that the word that we send them and the prayer that we send them will, the beginning, or will be the beginning of a lifelong relationship with you, walking with you for the rest of their days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, just before I invite Pastor Mark to come back, here again is something we do in this church all the time. Pardon me for saying this but like this, but I've discovered not every church acts like this as I've travelled around and been to places and some people have remarked, you're very bold when it comes to celebrating people's giving. That's not because we're trying to get anything out of anyone. There's no obligation. To this day, I make it my point, Teaser, our business manager is here and does such a great job, her and her team. But to this day, I have no idea what anyone in this church gives. She knows, uh, she may come into the office and say, Pastor, this is what's happened or somebody's come in and bought this. But she knows, she never tells me who it is because I don't want to know. Uh, so I, I want to be able to be free to be an encouragement to people when it comes to their giving. And so we always, when we have a visiting ministry, receive what we call a love offering. A love offering because we love them. A love offering because it's not about giving to us here. It's about giving to them. Um, you know, it's so easy to do on the app. Rhonda and I did it uh, today, just gave our love offering on the app. It's seriously so quick to do and so safe. It's brilliant. But you can go to the website. There will be somebody out at the Connect Hub if you want to just say it's for the love offering 
and uh, every cent that gets given, uh, we send on to them and we always make sure that they get it and uh, that uh, we're able to follow that through. We do it with integrity. Uh, we are probably the safest church you'll ever go to when it comes to finances. We are audited twice independently. Uh, you might say, why? Well, one, because we're a local church in INC, but also because we're one of the larger churches, believe it or not, in INC, uh, we are audited again. And uh, so we just are uh, thankful for that, being able to, to declare that to you. Let's pray over it. Father, thank you for everyone's generosity in this church, the, the bigness, the largeness of thought about you and your kingdom. We pray, Lord, for Mark and for Gailey's wife, for their children, their grandchildren. Father, we pray your blessing over them as they keep leading. Lord, I particularly pray for Mark, for his physical life, Lord, as he goes and travels so often, Canberra so often, meeting with people, Lord. I pray, God, for a spirit of wisdom over his mind. I pray, God, for the moments when a politician is going to trust him with something deep, that's happening in their personal life because they've got no one else. And because he's carried the spirit of Christ, because he's represented and carried that gift in a good manner, they're going to open up to him. I thank you, Lord, for the stories that he'll never be able to tell, never be able to stand on a platform and say, this is what this person shared. But God, you will know about it. I thank you for the doors, Lord, for him to become like a confidant to so many people in that space. We read so often, Lord, about the pressures that are there and about some of the ungodliness that goes on. But I believe, Lord, you're putting this man there to be light and salt in Jesus' name. Bless him, Lord. Amen. Amen. Mark, come up here and join me again, if you would, please. And uh, yeah, and we're gonna, we're gonna, a couple of stools. Yeah, we're going to sit there and just look relaxed. That'll be nice. Just give Mark a hand again. We uh, might as well. And just applaud. Beautiful. Here we go. Sit here together. You're a very suave looking gentleman, by the way. <laughs> Thank um, you. We had such a great day on Friday with uh, quite a crowd of people who were from the education sector and being able to share with them. And I wanted to take you back a little bit, if I could, with some of that. I, I think what you shared tonight is going to make even so much more sense when we have these opportunities to share but you were talking to us on Friday about uh, uh, religious freedom as being one of the big battles that's going on in the nation of Australia. Can you tell us a bit more about the urgency you feel about that? Well, I think the starting point for religious freedom in our nation and elsewhere is that people don't realise it is the most ancient and sacred right. It's the oldest freedom. Did you realise that? And people don't realise that. So how I've determined that, and it's not through me, obviously, but if you look at ancient um, paintings on even Indigenous paintings right throughout Australia, deities are featured. And if you look at the cave paintings right throughout Europe and in southern, um, southern Russia as well, they've got deities painted, usually beside hunting scenes. Now, we know, we know through the study of that, even though we weren't there at the time, two things. One is it was probably for protection and provision. So a deity is going to protect them and also provide for them. That's why the hunting scene is there. But you've got to understand that at that point, someone had the freedom to express their religion. It wasn't probably Christianity, but to express their religion. Now, if you've walked around Stonehenge or any of those wonderful ancient religious sites, again, they're religious sites. So right from the earliest point in, in time, people have been free to exercise their religion. And we've got international covenants which say that. There are international covenants which we helped draft, Australia helped draft, and yet Australia has not enacted those in legislation. So let me just say it very bluntly before I give you some practical examples. There is no protection for religious freedom in Australia in legislation. There isn't. You think there is, but there isn't. And we've been almost complacent because no one's been really prosecuted about it. But that's changing. And one of the things that is right happening right now is that the federal government 
And you've got to understand there is a body that's associated with every government, including state and federal. But in a federal sense, it's called the Australian Law Reform Commission. And a federal government can refer to that commission and say, could you help us draft these laws? So give us some advice. And last November, they, the federal government sent to the Australian Law Reform Commission three references. And essentially they, they were this. Give us some advice on how we can legislate about faith-based learning institutions. Let me put it in terms that we can all understand. Faith-based schools. And they came back with some recommendations. And, and I put it, we put in a submission. I appeared before them. And that final report is going to come in about November, December. But here's what they found. This is what they're recommending for legislation right now. It's on the table. That faith-based schools cannot show preference to employ teachers who agree with the values and the, 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 you know, the tenets of that school. Now, I just want you to think about that for a minute. If I was a member of the Labor Party, I would not employ someone from the Liberal Party. No, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I wouldn't employ someone from the Greens. Okay, if I, was a, if I was a company board, I would not employ a CEO that didn't have the values and the ethos of the company. Yet here we are. I mean, take, take religious freedom out of the, 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 the equation just for a moment, and I don't think we can. You're asking faith-based schools to employ staff who do not believe in the principles and the tenets and the values of the school they attend. I don't get it. So right now, that matter is before the, uh, before the, the Australian Law Reform Commission and the Attorney-General's Department. Here's why it's important. I think if that gets through, and believe me, I, I'm not an alarmist. Oh, Jeff knows me too well. But that's a very thin wedge to give some... Uh, if, if we lose that battle, when they then, the federal government has indicated they're going to bring in a religious discrimination bill, I can tell you it'll be a religious discrimination bill which will be pretty hard on us because they've already won that argument. They've, they've, they've won that. And the public opinion according to the latest research done by Macquarie University, says that most people believe we should not have religious freedom in this nation, which is a shock. But I think times and headlines have changed that. So I think there's something you can do about it. You want me to talk about that or...? I just want to let it percolate for a minute. Oh, sorry. No, because I think that we probably get so used to the... Uh, what did someone call it the other day, the sharp voices, that a lot of us get a little bit shell-shocked, yeah. a little bit shy, because we think we're trying to navigate between what I call resignation and ranting. And we've seen people we think have done it like there's been some debates that the church has been engaged in the last five to ten years where some of the things that were said were so unhelpful and so counterproductive and the church ends up getting even more marginalised and I think that goes into some of that. So can you, you know, you said on Friday, I'm not a pessimist. I actually believe we can win. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very optimistic about this. I want you to picture religious freedom and the argument I'm going to present to you like an iceberg. Okay, there's a lot going, we need to operate below the surface rather than above the surface. So here's how we operate. I mean, we need to get smart. So, for example, here's how politicians work. Whether you like it or not, here's how they work. If you get an organisation and that organisation you sign up to and they say, we're going to send, we want you to send a, an email to a politician. Here it is. All you've got to do is send it. I had a meeting with the Shadow Attorney General only about oh, three months ago and the, 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 his, uh, one of his staff members, one of his principal advisors walked in with me and he's checking his phone. And I said, how are you? And he was really quite dismissive. And, I, and he said, look, I'm really sorry. He said, we've just had our 18,000th, let me just say that slowly, our 18,000th email from this one organisation. By the end of the meeting, which lasted an hour and 10 minutes, they had 42,000 emails. He said, all they do is, and he was very um, expressive in his language. So I started to think, okay, how can we, do it? so I spoke to a lot of politicians and here's what they say. If we get, now don't, the seven is not important. I'll come to that. If we get seven communications 
from our electorate. In other words, they're not rope letters, but they're from individuals in the letters that are, that are articulate and a few other things which I'll talk about. We know we've got an issue out there and we will respond. Now, we may not respond the way you want to, but we know there's got an issue. So we put that to the test. ACC decided to have a National Freedom of Religion Day where we think we got about 600 churches and we promoted it. We gave them all the material, we promoted it. We said, right, we want you to write a communication to your local member on this issue. Just like one issue of teachers. It's not that hard to write a letter on that one. It really isn't. You don't have to be an expert. Here's how you write the letter. First thing you do is, first paragraph, encourage the politician. Do you know, my dad said to me one day in a very unguarded moment, he said, Mark, do you know the worst letters, the worst letters, because I'm talking, you know, a fair while ago, the worst letters I ever got? He said, they were from church people and churches. So t- just write in that first paragraph, tell them how much you value they serve. I'm telling you, it's a tough gig. You imagine getting on a plane from Perth to Canberra all the time. So why don't you just encourage them? Then tell them who you are. If you're a teacher, really tell them who you are. And then the third thing is tell you you're worried about the Australian Law Reform Commission report and the fact that they're going to actually, um, you know, do what I've just said. They're going to not allow preferencing of of staff. Just say that and then say why. And you can use the examples I've I've done. Would you employ someone from the Labor Party or the Liberal Party? Would a CEO? It just doesn't. And just tell them this is you must have employees in the organisation that believe in the values and the principles, especially in an organisation where you're promoting faith as a way of life. And then thank them. Thank them for... Now, we've discovered three things have happened. One is you get replies, so they're taking note. Secondly, we know that politicians have talked about the fact that there is an issue out there because I was personally contacted by the Attorney General's department and said, hey, we noticed that all our politicians, all our party members are saying they're getting these letters. And then I was contacted by the, uh, one of the senior advisors in the Prime Minister's office and said, hey, we've got wind that this is going on. We, we want to talk to you because obviously you're concerned about that issue. Wow. Now, I'm not saying we're going to get success, but I actually think we can get success on that issue. I don't think we're going to get success on some others. But the church needs a win. And I'm personally, the reason why we're doing it below the, the iceberg because I don't think we can win a debate on religion in the public arena. I think it's too many voices. So let's just do it this way. Now, we've also arranged to meet with politicians and other things. But what I want, I'd love you to just do that. Write an email. What's it, 20 minutes of your time? And it's not that hard. Let me just go through those again. And yeah. this, all this stays up on our YouTube channel, yeah. Metro Church WA, so someone can go back to that because I wrote these down yep. on Friday. I thought it was just so um, simple. Number one, encourage. Just encourage Say them. thank you. Say thank you. I know you. you talked about the fact that watching your dad and the incredible amount of travel he did and how debilitating that was for him physically and for his family was a huge deal. Encourage. Tell them who you are. Yeah, just tell them, especially if you're a teacher. Yeah. Or you know even I mean? if you've got a neighbour who's a teacher or a sibling who is or whatever. Thirdly is to refer to the Australian Law Reform Commission's uh, discussions. And can I just stop you there? Yep. Just go to the website, Australian Law Reform Commission. They've got, they've got the report there and you can look up Australian Christian Church's submission, which is a, which, the one I did. You can get, just do that, get it out of there. It's, it's all, it's it's all public operatic. available. Really good. Uh, so encourage, tell them who you are, refer to the Australian Law Reform Commission uh, discussions, tell them why you're concerned. That's right. And then fifthly, how hard is this? Just say thank you. Just say thank you. Yeah, wow. Pretty easy, eh? Wow. Project for tonight. Don't watch MasterChef. Do that notice, sorry. <laughs> That's great. Uh, look, is there anything else you want to just say generally before we go to some other questions? Oh, I, I, I do think we need to pray about religious freedom in this nation. All right? You don't underestimate the power of prayer. There are people out there that you don't know about that are working really hard below the, below the iceberg and uh, I, I need your prayers. I mean, I'll be in Canberra next week, so do I need you f- your prayers. Sorry. Do you find, Mark, that 
most of the politicians, like I remember you talking to me after you'd appeared before the Senate Select Committee mm. and telling me how nerve-wracking it was and then also how, you know, they'd allocated you, what, 15 minutes? Ended up being a lot more? Yeah, about 40 minutes. Yeah. And then you got a couple of um, responses from yeah. people. I just want to ask you this in closing this part of it. Because I think we all tend to think that the politicians have already made their minds up too bad and you're irrelevant anyway. You've given me a completely different picture of that, that a lot of them are going, we don't know, we'd love to hear from you. Is that yeah, well, and, and I can give you the evidence of that. Remember that even though the religious discrimination bill did not go through, the Senate committee I appeared before, now remember, I, you know, I was only one of quite a few appeared before, they recommended the religious freedom, the religious discrimination bill go through. Now, we know that prior to that, they had not made up their mind. So I, I think, you know, it's not a matter of getting in there and being extreme or yelling and screaming. You've got to have articulate arguments. And when you do put up articulate arguments, you will be listened to. Now, there, are, there is probably certain elements in Parliament that won't listen to religious voices. That's fine. But generally, they are listening in those Senate inquiries. Wow. Here's the other advantage, is remember the Senate inquiries are public, they're recorded, and therefore what we say gets on the record. So they're there, they're there forever. It's a good thing. Yeah. They can go back and look at those things. And wow. about three months later, after I appeared, uh, something I said was quoted in the Sydney Morning Herald. Now, I, I'm not, you know, I, I don't worry about that, but I am saying it does get taken notice of. Wow. wow. Yeah. Look, it's been so great, particularly everyone that's online. Thank you for joining with us. And uh, we hope that you can continue to join with us online uh, for all of our services next Sunday morning, 9.30, of course. And again, across any one of our three platforms, either Facebook Live, uh, our YouTube channel, or our own MetroChurch.online platform, where the notes are was asked, so you can get a hold of those as well. God bless you, and thank you for that. Now, here's what we're going to do now, because... Online has just stopped, all right? And uh, that means we've finished that for two reasons. One is we wanted to give every one of you the opportunity to ask any question you have without wondering who out there might be listening to it or the fact that it would stay there. And so we uh, have stopped online now. That's just us here in the room to ask questions. The only other thing I want to say, Pastor Bruce is going to be taking a microphone around. He'll hold it because he's an expert at audio engineering and make sure that you're, uh, well, he's more expert than a lot, uh, make sure that your question gets heard. And the only other thing I want to say is we want to value and maximise Pastor Mark's time. So if you've got a big, long story that started out when you were five and then you went on, you were 10, and then this happened, can you save that for another time? Let's just keep it to a question and something succinct, and that would be great. So over to you all. Who's got the first question? Raise your hand. Here goes Kurt over here. Bruce is going to start sprinting. And I'll turn my mic off because you're going to answer everything. Oh, gee. That's a worry. Hi, Mark. Um, I assume that the religious freedom applies to all religions. Yeah, and yeah. it applies for no religions. Um, because the comment you made about Labor, Liberal, etc., I wouldn't want necessarily a Muslim teacher in a Christian school or that, vice versa. And, yeah. and, and that, that's yeah. the, the Islamic community are the most active in this. So it applies to all religions. So my view of religious freedom is that um, I, I'm not talking about Christianity, I'm talking about religious freedom, but I'm also talking about the fact that you should have the freedom not to have a religion yeah. and not to exercise a religion. So it goes both ways and I can live with that. Yeah. Remember, the questions don't have to be on religious freedom. They can be on anything. My number one man. <laughs> hey, oh, yeah, sorry. Um, hey, Pastor Mike, how are you? Um, Good. Yeah, Yourself? Yeah, doing well. Great. There you go. <laughs> um, this is a question on the message. So the different sizes of talents, and you refer to... Um, them meaning something. Does that refer to the gift of salvation or are you really just talking about, I guess, skills and talents that were given by God? I'm talking about all gifts. Okay. All right, that's right. the way I interpret it, all yeah. gifts. 
Um, so I, because I think the gift of salvation is something we should be giving away. Mm. And we've got to do that. I mean, we should be giving our gift of salvation away. And please hear what I'm saying about that. With love and mercy and grace. So that people can see that salvation is actually worth it. Yeah. You know, uh, because I don't think salvation is just to get into heaven. Mm. It's far more than that. So I think it's, it's a very can broad I, thing. Can I just ask you about that and on that? Or have you finished, Kat? I'll ask a follow-up to that. Yeah. Um, so with being fully justified in Christ, you know, when we're saved, how does that go about us also being responsible? Is that, does that come into works? Because, I'm, you know, there's nothing we can do to be saved, but, you know, being responsible, like you brought up, how do, how do those two balance? I'm not sure they balance. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm simply saying that once we are saved, that's a gift, all right? It's a gift of salvation then we need to give that gift to salvation away. And that's what evangelism is all about. My whole message is on the way we do that, the way we do that. And that's what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, encourage people. And I think the way we do that changes according to culture. Um, so, but I'm saying the essence of, the, of how we do it is based on the fundamentals of who God is. Right. Yeah. Thank you. I want, I want to just ask you about that because of what you'd preached um, because I think uh, going in with an argument, sometimes you win arguments but you lose the people. Yeah. Um, I've said a couple of times the last week in the places I've been, um, I've never regretted mercy but I've often regretted judgment. Well, I mean I can give you an example. When I appeared before the Senate Committee, um, the person before me, I mean just, just picture this, the, the, they sit for three days all right, and, you know, I, I'm not sure of the time, so forgive me, but I think they sit from something like nine in the morning till six at night, and it's just constant. So I am the last person on the last day to give evidence. Now, just picture that. Their attention span is like nothing. It's just, you know, and in addition to that, it's during COVID, so we're on, online, and the person before me stirred them up. Real, I mean, I said something, said something very offensive to one of the senators. And the, the brawl they had, you can read it, read the transcript. It's really interesting. It's, it's, it's apparently one politician said to me, it's the best reading I've ever done, you know. So I appeared after that. It was horrific. Now, it wasn't necessarily what I said, but the tone of how I said it. So I had to argue my point. I mean, I, I wasn't passive about argument. Because, you know, I was in an environment where they were so riled up because of the other person, they took it out on me. You know, it's like the, you know, the, someone kicking the dog and the dog kicking the cat sort of thing. I, I was the cat. But tone saved the day. And I can tell this story because we're not online, but as I said to Jeff, I got a phone call straight after the hearing from the chair of the committee who had got my number from someone else and she just thanked me because she said, you know, your tone saved the day. She said, not everyone agreed with what you're saying, but everyone walked out in the corridor and said, thank goodness for, the, for how it was expressed. That's what I'm saying. It's, 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 it's the love and the compassion. We, can, we, can have a, we should be arguing our case, but do it with the attributes I'm saying. My number two. How did you actually, oh, do you remember the time that you understood that your gift was a bridge for you to be able to show God's mercy? Like, I, do you remember? I remember it really time? well. I remember it really can, well. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, I, I can. I, I'm, I'm embarrassed by this story. I, I don't know whether you've heard of um, an American, um, well, mega pastor who's not in pastoral ministry, Bill Hybels. Has anyone heard Bill Hybels? Well, anyway, I, I was in a car with him and we'd just done a, I was a driver, basically. And he was asking me these questions and I was just a young, a young guy, really. It was, you know, and, and, he, and he said to me, what, what did you do before you were pastor? And I said, well, I was a lawyer, but I've left all that behind. <laughs> and he just looked at me and said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I was shocked and he said, do you realise that God has used everything about our background for the future? Now, I didn't understand any of that. But I, when I made my first appearance in one, before one of the parliamentary committees, I remembered that moment. and thought, you know why I'm here? All my legal training has prepared me for this moment. 
And, and honestly, I just thought, isn't God good? I've been running away from this with these cliches like, oh, I don't, you know, I've been saved from the law, redeemed from the and, and honestly, the ability, my training as a lawyer gives me an advantage that others without that training don't have in those environments. And I, every time, I, I, and I'm not exaggerating, when I go into those environments and even with the, the people I see, I'm so thankful to God that, he's, that he gave me that training. So, uh, yeah, uh, everything I've done I can now see. Even being a politician's son, which I said in the message, you know what it was like to be a politician's son? My dad was the only Liberal member in Ipswich since Federation. It's a Labor town. So do you think school was easy? It wasn't easy. And, but, but I understand politicians. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being arrogant. I, I just know. You know, you can just, you just know. So all those things, the gift. So I've got to exercise that gift really well. The gift of being a lawyer and trained as a lawyer. Yeah. That's a great question. Turn my microphone on. Maybe then can I just get you to finish? Yeah. By telling us the story of the great synagogue. Yeah. Look, you've got to understand my journey with uh, religious freedom was a really reluctant story. I mean, I, I... I just want to say that really publicly that I didn't wake up one morning and thought, I'm going to be a champion for religious freedom. I didn't even know what religious freedom was. But the ACC, our movement, Australian Christian Churches, um, needed someone to go to Sydney to attend the Attorney General speaking on religious freedom and introducing a bill to Parliament. This was about eight years ago. Now, I now know now that I was about, you know, 30 million down the list. Really, I, I was not the first choice, but I, but I didn't know at the time. I thought I'd been selected to go to Sydney and, you know, be in this environment. I was just, it was great. Airfares paid, it was brilliant. And so what happened was that uh, it was held, he was going to do the launch of the bill in the Great Synagogue. I don't know whether you've been there, but the Great Synagogue is 145 years old. It's beautiful. It's in the centre of Sydney CBD. And I walked up to this building and, um, you know, it's a very nondescript building from the outside, but, well, it's obviously a synagogue. But as I came there, there was two armed guards at the front door, two armed guards, and I was searched straight away. Not, not, not you know, I was searched. And they, made, they searched my, not just my bag, but they, they just took me aside slightly. I was a male and they were male, so they just, you know, everything like Then they said, go into that door there and just wait. So I walked into the door and there was a, it was completely like a soundproof room, but there was a tiny little window where I could see someone behind the window and they just told me to stand there. Now, what I then found out was that was an X-ray bomb-proof room. So as I went in, they're checking me for explosives and weapons and then I'm allowed into the synagogue. So I'm pretty shocked by this stage. And so as I went and sat down, I, it's the most beautiful environment. And here it was, I, I looked up, and if you've been to a synagogue, it's, it's all standard. The, the, the stars of the sky are painted on the ceiling. And the reason why is, you can gather, is that they want you to look up and know that the promises that Abraham was made, the father of the faith, are for you as well. And they remind you of the day he looked up and said, God, you're faithful. And so I'm looking all around, and what I didn't realise was a lady came and sat beside me. And, you know, because the, 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 it was filling up and we were a bit early and we introduced ourselves and she was the, rab, the head rabbi's spouse. And she said, can I explain some of the symbols? And she started to explain some of the symbols on the side. And, and then she stopped and I didn't have a skull cap on. I was too arrogant to wear a skull cap. And I regret that to this day. I really do. And then she said, you know what? She said, we're here for religious freedom. She said, can I tell you what takes place every Sunday? Oh, not every Sunday. You know what I mean by that. Um, you know, every Saturday. She said, she said, we have a car park over there we've got access to and that's, we've got armed guards on that. And then every car that drives in, we check the car, we check the possessions in the car, we put mirrors underneath. And then we go through the procedure you've gone through. And that's just to get to, that's just to, get to synagogue. Now, you don't know this, but... We have a graffiti squad 
They go out every Monday because we know that after the weekend, Jewish cemeteries will be graffitied, not to mention Jewish schools, Jewish synagogues. There'll be some right around Sydney. So we've got full-time people just doing that. She said, also, if you wear a skull cap, like many of our men do, they'll be abused, mainly on public transport by, by young males, usually. They'll be spat on. It's very rare for us not to get complaints. In fact, there's been a 35% increase in, in, in general complaints and, and problems that we've had over this 12-month period. And the stats are saying it'll probably be up about 45% in 2022. That was last year. And then she just stopped. And I'm thinking, oh my, what? Then she said, but one day I've got a a hope that we won't have to do any of that. Now, I know there's a fine line between racial discrimination and religious freedom, but gee, it's close, isn't it? And she said, I I want my kids like, I imagine your kids don't go through that, Mark, do they? And I said, well, well, no. And she said, well, that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see our doors open. I'd like to see freedom. That's why I'm here. And that day it changed. You know, it's like a Damascus Road experience. And that's why I do it. It's not because I want to be in Canberra. (laughs) It's not because I want to be with politicians. Believe me, that's not the case. It's because of that moment I know I was called. And I don't get paid for it. Jeff knows that. I mean, I go to meetings with the Catholic representatives. They've got staff... (laughs) I got 14 staff. I got moi <laughs> doing it at night. And, um, but gee, call's important, isn't it? Wow. So I'm committed to do this. That's great. That's my story. Thank you, Mark. We really my appreciate pleasure. it. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Look, I hope that uh, helps you. I hope it inspires you. Thank you for being a part of tonight. This was a bit of an experiment for us in putting it not online only. And uh, I know there's a lot of people online there as well, but thank God for that. Let's just finish with prayer for our nation. Can I get you to stand with me for a minute? Let's pray for our nation. The Bible says that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I believe that the answer for our nation is for the gospel to prevail. I really do. I believe that there's hope in Jesus and there's very little hope outside of him. Father, we pray for our nation. We pray for our prime minister and the government. We pray for our opposition leader and uh, all of those people as well. We're not just for them, but in our states. Father, we pray that your kingdom and your rulership, that the government that's on your shoulders, Lord, will absolutely prevail in this nation. I pray for our politicians. I pray for our church leaders. I pray for Mark and for all those that are going to be involved in somehow or other. We thank you, Lord, for your grace on them. We ask, Lord, for the proclamation of the gospel to never uh, be restricted, but to become freer and freer in proclamation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 